Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. turn to Mark as we look at the Easter story. There you go. And chapter 15. And I think the theme of this message is this. Do you believe God is always actively working in your life and the world? Do you believe God is always actively working in your life and the world? If you have a bulletin, there are some opportunities to take the notes there. It says this at the top of your bulletin on the back side. Last week's message titled, While God Watched, signifies inaction. But actually, while God watched, he was very active in working out all the details of the crucifixion of his son. And so we will read our text It is Mark chapter 15, and we will start with verse 33 and read to the end of the chapter. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sakbathian, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of a rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Well, as you're aware, this is the pinnacle of salvation history. From Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God had a plan. Genesis 3.15 explains that plan. And then all the way to the book of Mark here, we see how that plan unfolds. 
the long-awaited Lamb of God dying for the sins of the world. We see actively God working in the death of Jesus. How do we see that? Well, first of all, God the Father brought darkness, the Bible says. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. The sixth hour in the Jewish day is noon. The Jewish day begins at 6 a.m., and so the sixth hour is noon. At noon, it was considered to be the time when the sun was at its brightest spot, and God brought darkness from noon to 3 p.m. Jesus was on the cross, if you remember, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. God the Father brought darkness from noon to 3 p.m., the last three hours. Some say it was a natural eclipse. The sun and moon got together, and it was an eclipse, although it lasted quite a while, three hours. Some say it was the coming of God on the scene with the ultimate form of his judgment. Darkness throughout all the Bible talks about gloom and talks about judgment. The Bible says that hell is outer darkness. I was watching TV this past week, and uh, in... I think Korea, maybe, if I remember right, there was a place where you could have a meal in complete darkness. And uh, I don't know why that intrigued people, but it did. And there were a number of people in the restaurant, and uh, they, took a, they took a microphone in there, and, and you could see through, through uh, you know, dark kind of uh, glasses, I guess, uh, the, the filming of this in there, and it was complete, utter darkness. And they were taking their food, and they were wondering what it was. I don't know, that doesn't intrigue me. I like to see my Big Mac as I take a bite, all right? But in a way, hell came to Golgotha when God unleashed the full extent of everlasting punishment on his son. And I think this was the cup Jesus anticipated in the garden. Remember in the garden, Jesus says, Take this cup away from me, but not my will, thine be done. The cup was God's wrath. God the Son bore the eternal punishment of sin for six hours on the cross. The darkness is not the absence of God at the cross, but I think His presence. Well, how else was God involved? Well, number two, he watched his son. God watched his son. In the moment Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was feeling the absence of God. God was there, but Jesus experienced the full fury of the penalty of sin in such a way that Jesus felt God's absence. And basically, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he is saying is, God, where are you? Where are you? I don't know if you've ever said that, but I certainly have. God, where are you? My life just doesn't seem to be going the way I thought it was supposed to go. Where are you? What happened? Where are you? I've said that a number of times, and Jesus is saying the same thing. Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? And really, again, hell is a lot like that. Punishment without comfort, without God's presence. Punishment without comfort. Can you imagine punishment without comfort and without God's presence? And again, 
I didn't realize this, but again, this was mockery of those that were watching. When Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, that means my God, my God. It's in Aramaic, the language that the people spoke. They knew exactly he was saying, my God, my God. They knew he was saying that. But in a mockery kind of way, they said, you know what, he's calling for Elijah. Because Elijah, according to Scripture, must come before the Messiah. Well, Elijah did come in the form of John the Baptist. Remember, we've talked about that before. You would think that the darkness would shut down the mockery, but it didn't. I want to share with you a very, very sad and scary verse. It's in Revelation chapter 16. On Wednesday night, we are going through the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter uh, 16 verse 10 explains men's corruptness and the evilness of the heart. This is a sad, sad verse. Revelation 16.10 It says this, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. Man, that gives a picture of mankind's rebelliousness toward God. You would think that the darkness would shut down the mockery, but it didn't. They continued to mock Jesus on the cross until he died and Mark, it doesn't record his last words, it just says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. But in John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus' last words are, it is finished. Remember that? It is finished. Not his life, but the long-awaited plan of the Lamb of God dying for the sins of the world. It is finished. The plan that began back, as I said, in Genesis chapter 3, as Adam and Eve sinned, the plan of redemption, bringing mankind back into a relationship with God through the Lamb of God dying for the sins of the world. It is finished. On the cross, number three, God also saved sinners. Even in Jesus' death, sinners are saved. During the crucifixion, at least two sinners were saved. The centurion was on the ground, and the thief was on the cross. We don't get that whole story in the book of Mark, but the other Gospels tell that whole story. The centurion in our passage here comes to the right conclusion. Surely this man was the Son of God. And church history gives the centurion a name, Longinus, Longinus. He left military service to preach about Jesus in his native land of Cappadocia. And of course, you know the story of the thief. He was saved, and Jesus said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. God is in the soul-saving business. That's, that's, that's his job. He's in the soul-saving business. And even in the gloom on the cross... God the Father saves two sinners. Another thing that happened that God was a part of, He tore the curtain. Remember that? Verse 38, The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. In the temple there are different rooms, and the curtain was the 
thing that separated the Holy of Holies, where the holy instruments were, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And when we studied the book of Hebrews, I don't know if you remember the place, once a year where the priest would go on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the priest would enter the Holy of Holies, would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant to make atonement for any sins all of the sacrifices might have missed. And so, in essence, the curtain was symbolic of the separation of God from sinners. And at 3 p.m., we talked about this last week, on Good Friday, God tore the curtain from top to bottom, signifying that He's the one, not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom, the Bible says God tore the curtain as a way to symbolize man now being able to enter into the Holy of Holies, enter through the death of Jesus. And remember we talked about this last week at 3 p.m. on Good Friday when the priests were slaughtering thousands of Passover lambs. The ultimate Passover lamb had been slain by God. And that's why we said, Jesus said, it is finished. And Matthew doesn't include this. I was thinking I need ten, ten numbers here, but I only got nine. But that's because I didn't include a couple of things that Mark doesn't mention, but Matthew does. Matthew says after the curtain was torn, God caused a great earthquake. So I could have, I could have written that down. And it says, the, uh, the Bible says, rocks were split in two. And then I could have even made 11 points for our message today, because in Matthew 27, 53, it says that the tombs were opened after the curtain was torn. And that, and this was interesting, and you can do some study on this if you want to. The tombs were open when the curtain was torn. But the dead who were resurrected didn't come out of the tombs until Resurrection Sunday. So you can look in your Bible there. I kind of gave that a, a, double, a, a double take. If the tombs were open after the curtain was torn, what are those dead people doing in there until the resurrection? I don't know, just hanging out, I guess, until the resurrection comes. But number four was he tore the curtain. Number five is he convicted the audience. Now, there is a tremendous amount of mockery and blasphemy going on with all of these people at the trials and the carrying of the cross and the nailing of the cross and then in the six hours of hanging on the cross. But, and I, again, we don't read this passage very often and Mark does not record it, but God the Father convicted the audience in Luke chapter 23, if you want to look there, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 48, listen to what it says. And if you look at verse 47, this is after the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. In Mark it says, surely he was the Son of God. But look at verse 48. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. All of a sudden, 
the crucifixion is not that funny anymore. And God convicts the mockers, and they, they go away beating their breasts, their chests, as a way of showing regret. I looked that up. When someone beats their chest, it's a way of showing regret. And so those mockers, those people that were spitting on him and hurling insults at him, they go away beating their breasts as a show of regret. Now, thankfully, God doesn't leave people in that mix. And so I wonder if at Pentecost, this is now 50 days later after the resurrection, at Pentecost, Peter gets up and preaches a sermon, remember, and 3,000 people are added to the church that day. I wonder if any of the people that went away beating their breasts had time to think about what happened, and they happened to be there at Pentecost when Peter preaches this sermon, I wonder if any of them got saved at that time. Number six, he confused the women. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, it says in our text that the women were afar off. At first they were close, but they moved afar off. Verses 41 uh, 40 and 41. Some women were watching from a distance now. They've moved back. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. These are three women here. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. These faithful women who were with Jesus from the very beginning, who are now watching from a distance, I think are stunned and confused. You know what? They served Him. They took care of His needs. They didn't think that all of this would end this way. And so they stand back at a loss for what's going on. We didn't think this was going to happen this way. Confused. And God allowed those feelings. And I started thinking of, uh, of that for myself. You know, sometimes I think, God, what are you doing? This would not be the way I would choose to do things. Why are you doing this, Lord? I'm confused. Can you give me an explanation, please? What's going on? And I think these women have that same feeling. And by the way, where's the guys? Where's the guys at the crucifixion? Where's the strong apostles at the crucifixion? So ladies, if you go home today and you, you get in an argument or something, you just can say, hey, listen, we were at the crucifixion. Where were you guys? Okay. Number seven, he confirmed the scriptures. He confirmed the scriptures. So much, so much of the crucifixion was spoken of prophetically in the Old Testament. We've talked such about that. One uh, example, and there's a ton of them, but one example is the instructions given concerning the Passover lamb. Concerning the Passover lamb. In Exodus chapter 12 and Numbers chapter 9, the lambs that were presented for sacrifice during Passover were to be without blemish, and it says exactly in there, with no broken bones. 
Well, take a look at John chapter 19, if you will. John chapter 19, another story of the crucifixion. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all give stories of the crucifixion, some with, other, some with details that some uh, don't, uh, don't give. Chapter 19. Say again. John chapter 19. And we're going to start with verse 31. John 19.31. Thinking about this idea, and you're, you're familiar with this, of the Passover lamb without blemish, and according to the Old Testament rules, without no broken bones. Verse 31, now was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a, sp- a special Sabbath, because it was Passover. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken of the bodies, uh, broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. He was an unblemished sacrifice. At the Passover, not one of his bones will be broken, and as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. All through scripture, God is working to have it fulfilled at the time of the crucifixion. So God is actively at work. Number eight, he allowed Jesus to be entombed. God the Father allowed Jesus to be entombed. In our story, you remember... Joseph of Arimathea, who happens to be a prominent member of the council, and when the council was yelling, crucify him, crucify him, Joseph of Arimathea didn't say anything, but I'm sure he was not one of the ones yelling that. He was, according to scripture, himself waiting for the kingdom of God. It says he went boldly and asked Pilate if he could have the body. Well, Pilate is thinking, you know, crucifixion can sometimes last up to two days. Is Jesus already dead? And they said, yes, he is already dead. And so uh, Pilate gives permission for Joseph to take the body down. And he begins the process of burial. And he is not able to finish because Sabbath. So it's 3 o'clock. Sabbath starts at sundown, 6 o'clock. He only has three hours. He takes the body down, begins the process of burial, but doesn't finish it because it's Sabbath. Joseph is doing the honorable thing, but also, according to God's timing, he is putting Jesus in a tomb on Friday to fulfill the scripture three days. In the tomb, another perfect timing in God's redemption plan. And then finally, I don't know if you noticed this, it was just a blurb. Finally, number nine, he provided witnesses to the place of the tomb. So we are told in verse 40 and 41 that these women were there. And then we are told in verse 47, Mary Magdalene 
And Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. God provides witnesses to the place where the tomb was, and so God made sure that Mary and Martha saw the place where the body was buried so that after Sabbath on Sunday morning, are you catching the calendar here, the hours? On Saturday, I'm sorry, on Sunday after Sabbath was over, Mary and Martha, remembering where the tomb was, went to continue the burial process that Joseph of Arimathea started. And when they get to the right tomb, well, they notice something. And what they notice, of course, is what we will celebrate next week. They notice that Jesus is not there because God has a different plan And now these women become the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Here's the truth of the crucifixion for us. God never took his eyes off of Jesus. And no matter what you're going through right now, you may think it. Lord, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? You may think it, but he will never ever take his eyes off of his children. At the bottom of the bulletin it says this, God never took his eyes off Jesus on Good Friday and was actively participating in his death, which was necessary. We talked about that last week. We're going to talk about this Good Friday. Which was necessary to give the redeemed, that's us, as an inheritance to his beloved son. And so at the very bottom of the bulletin it says, Are you one of Jesus' inherited souls? Do you know Jesus? I mean, I'm not saying do you know about Jesus. A whole bunch of people know about Jesus. They know that this whole thing, especially this time of year, is about the resurrection of Jesus. They know about that. They probably know about Good Friday. They probably, you know, many of them participate in in, uh, Easter-type services and that kind of thing. But my question is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Not about Jesus, but have you invited Jesus into your life to be your Lord, to be in charge, and to be your Savior, the one that died for your sins? If you don't, inside your bulletin there is a spot there where it says, How can I become a Christian? We put this in our bulletin every week because that's what our church is about, sharing the good news with other people. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, He's quietly knocking on the door of your heart. And you know what? In that beautiful picture of Jesus knocking on the door, guess what? There's no doorknob on the outside. I don't know if you've noticed that. There's no doorknob on the outside of that beautiful picture. Jesus is knocking on your heart, and you've got to open the door from the inside. You're the one with the doorknob. You've got to open that. Do you know Jesus, or do you just know about Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you don't, well, follow the little guideline here and invite Him into your heart today, and then begin to live for Him. Put Him as the center of your life, the Lord of your life, and know that He is also your Savior who died for your sin. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. It's, it's perfect. Everything fits together so wonderfully. 
And God did not turn his back on Jesus on the cross. He was actively a participant in the death of Jesus so that he could give the redeemed, those of us that invite Christ into our heart and into our life, he could give us to Jesus as an inheritance so that we can forever show our love and affection and joy to our Savior Jesus Christ. And that starts right here. Right here we have the opportunity to give joy and love. Well, in fact, we sang it. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. May that be true for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.